If we've learned anything over the last few years, is that unexpected things can happen. For example, average IRA and 401k balances fell 20% last year, according to Fidelity. We did not expect that. But here's something that could help you if you have an IRA or 401k physical gold in your IRA. The World Gold Council says even central banks are buying tons of gold. What does that tell you? Learn why many Americans are turning to gold IRA with Augusta Precious Metals. Mark Levin and Joe Montana, my favorite quarterback personally, or maybe Troy Aikman, but that's not the point. Joe Montana, Mark Levin endorse Augusta and recommend them to their friends and family. If you have an IRA or 401k, call Augusta Precious Metals to get their free ultimate guide to gold IRAs. Call 8444-BILL-IRA. That's 8444-BILL-IRA. Call Augusta Precious Metals today at 8444-BILL-IRA. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. We take a look at the news of the day. Uh, Brian Kennedy is going to join us today. He's president of the American Strategy Group. He's also the chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger, China. I am the Washington Fellow of the American Strategy Group, I should point out. Someone said something that struck me about Trump. The harder they go after him and the worse it gets for him, the higher his primary standing goes. His numbers don't go down, you know. Uh Indictment, playing tapes of him saying, oh, oh, this is security. Take a look at this, you know. I mean, it's some terrible stuff. You heard some of that, right? Yes, I did. Um, But his numbers stay where they are for the primary way, way ahead. But what the person said was, as his troubles mount, his support in the primary goes up, his support in the general goes down. I think that's the worry, is that base will be with him, with him, with him, but only the base. And the base is max 40, 42%. Mm Mm-hmm. That's my thought. What do you have a reaction? Well, yeah. And the concern is, you know, of course, the base is going to be with him, um, you know, and given the performance of President Biden, um, one could have thought that perhaps if former President Trump, you know, got through the primary, which it looks like, he, you know, he could do easily. Um, the, the concern would be, well, from the President Biden's standpoint, the Democrats are are those who are disappointed with President Biden, would they say, OK, at first I wasn't anyone but Trump. I'll, I'll vote Biden or anyone else. I just don't want President Trump. But given Biden's performance saying, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll rescind that. I'll go back and I'll vote for President Trump. This gives them another way out. It says, yeah, you know what? Never mind. I forgot about the drama. I forgot about the baggage. I forgot about all this stuff. I'm not going to do it. Where where. Possibly there were votes that were going to go to him. Uh, yeah. President Trump. I don't think that's going to happen in the general. I think it's exactly what, what you said in the primary. This will help him in the general. It's going to hurt him. Absolutely. Will he win the primary, you think? Yes, easily. Yeah. I don't even think it's going to be close. From right now, I mean, again, we're recording this. It's late June 2023. Things can change. Um, but the way it seems now, yeah. I think he's got, I think it's, I think, I think it's not even close. Well, we'll wait and see on that, but that I, I'd love to know what, uh, listeners think. All right. So you think, you think Trump wins the primary? Yes. Hands down mm-hmm. and goes to the general and then wins or loses. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and now whether he wins or loses the general, I don't know. I I tend to think he's got a better shot than many will give him, um, than we'll give him. Uh, and we'll see, you know, you know, we'll see. Uh, it's tough to see the Democrats run anybody other than, than Joe Biden. So much can happen in a year and a half. I mean, we've got to see where the country is this time next year, where it is, you know, uh, this time going into the fall, um, next year. Uh, and that could sway people one way or the other. And, and not even, necessarily the situation in the country. I mean, let's see what happens, you know, around the world. Let's see what, what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. What's China doing? There's so much going on right now. What's the border looking like? Uh, will the school, will the school issues? We just had, there was just, there was just a, a, a protest, um, in Loudoun County, in Fairfax County here in, in, in Virginia, um, of parents, uh, you know, wanting the school board to explain some of these books that are in the library. They were protesting in front of a school board meeting that had nothing to do with books. And so there's so much that can happen in another year, year, uh, year and some change. And, um, and that, and that could change everything, could change everything. Yeah. I don't know what'll happen, but you know, he's going to go to trial. And I think, I mean, I don't know. One, one juror can hold it all up, but I think he may get, may get convicted. Mm-hmm. I do too. He gets convicted. How long do the appeals go? I guess they go past the election. But man, I you know, I don't know. I'll tell you what, Dr. Ben. I, 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 there, there you go. I mean, that's why people listen to the show. <laughs> then I, right. And I just told him, I don't know. Right. I don't know. Right. Go right. ahead. No, I was going to say, I was talking to a friend uh, maybe over the weekend and I, I literally drew up a scenario where I would not be surprised if he's the nominee and he's running his campaign while he's, you know, convicted and, you know, possibly in jail. Like it, it w- at this point, nothing surprised me at the, because you've, you've got former president Trump and everything that he brings. You've got the full weight of Democrats, uh, certain Republicans, uh, agencies, uh, government agencies all coming against this guy, but people love him. And 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 they support him. He still resonates with, you know, we talked about this a couple months ago, maybe a month ago or so when he had his town hall and he gave gave a speech. You listen to him talk and and, and we know it's political. It's the baggage. And so, um, yeah, I can I, I, I floated out an idea last weekend and everyone agreed. You know what? I could see him winning. I could see him winning the primary, I could see him even you know, winning the election and being convicted and in prison. Like I, I can see it. I can oh, see it. Man. And that would Great. be bad. That would, that would be bad on many different levels. I do think if he's convicted, he loses the women in the suburbs. I think he loses the people in the middle, um, which, which is needed. However, looking at the map, it's two, three States that he lost by less than two percentage points, mm-hmm. you know, Georgia, Arizona, uh, I think maybe Wisconsin uh-huh. he can overcome that one, two percent, one and a half percent. How mad are people at Biden? How upset are they about inflation? Pretty upset, I think. We'll see. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. All right, Brian, uh, welcome to the show. Let's start, Brian, with the election analysis that Claude and I just did. We think that the more they push down on Trump, the stronger he gets with his base, which means the likelihood of him winning the primary is very high. He will very likely win the primary. But the more likely he is to win the primary and the more stuff they put on him that gets the base behind him makes the general harder. What's your view? I think the first part of that is right. 
And we have to be <laughs> careful not to think about this in too conventional a terms because. Well, that's not. probably what we're doing, being very conventional. But that's well, why we had you on. Of course. Thank you. Um, the uh, and all I really mean by that is Trump. Trump has a base of supporters that is very large and very loyal to him. They're going to support him come what may. Yep. These are also folks who are out there living their lives every day, raising their families, working two jobs, sometimes three jobs. These are people who don't spend a whole lot of time in front of MSNBC, mm-hmm. or they don't spend a whole lot of time scouring the internet for this and that, you know, news story about all this. They're living their lives and they know that Donald Trump represents them. They're, they know they're living in unusual times, but they see Trump fighting for them. And so they're going to stand with him come what may. Yeah, I agree. And so that's the Trump base and they're real. And I think they could be growing and they're in part growing because all the people running against Trump, they don't seem to be. I, I think there's a lot of good men in that group. Right. There, there, there are people who are patriotic, who want to serve yeah, this country, yeah, yeah. that they're governors, they're they're what have you. And people are looking at those and they're not they're not that great. They're excuse me. They're good guys. They're not so great yeah, yeah. as no, to overcome not. everything Trump has done for six years. No, they're not compelling versus his record and what he's done and their oh. and their and their loyalty. Right. And also, I mean, this is this is a feature of modern politics, but. Everybody knows who Donald Trump is. Everybody. Yeah. Yep. Ron DeSantis, good governor. Does everybody know who he is? No. 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 I mean, they don't know him intimately. They, they, they may have an idea that he's a good governor. They don't. Governor Youngkin, you know, Chris Christie, all these other folks. What they'll have is sort of a vague, a vague positive reflection on them, but mm-hmm. nothing deep the way they do about Trump. So that's why Trump just has a massive advantage. Now, turn to the turn to the general in the general. I think Trump, if you look at the Rasmussen polls, is is leading by I have argued in public and in print that these things don't matter as much because we're not getting fair elections anyway. Mm -hmm. The thing we have to overcome between now and November of 2024 is whether you can demonstrate to the American people that we can have fair elections and then actually pull off fair elections. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I think with every day that goes by and you don't see activity from the Republican National Committee yeah. or the Trump campaign or the DeSantis campaign, for that matter, every day that goes by that they're not building a legal structure in order to engage in the kind of lawfare that the Democrats are. You're going to see the likelihood of seeing in 2024 an election that looks a lot like 2020 is just bound to happen. And I would counsel everyone. I I say that not to be discouraging. I mean to encourage people to get active with the system so that we can actually have a free and fair election. And, and, And today, if we have the universal use of mail in balloting in the six swing states, and in other parts of the country, I live in California, we're going to have universal mail-in balloting here. You don't have to show ID. And there, and for all practical purposes, Crazy. there's Crazy. not going to be signature verification. And there will be industrial-level ballot harvesting by the Democrats. Yes, it will. Okay. Under those circumstances, the odds of any Republican 
presidential candidate winning are very, very remote. As I said in this piece in American Greatness uh, last week, yes, you, you just did. if you, great if you piece, excuse me, a great piece, by the way, and we will uh, put it up on the site. Right. Claude. Well, okay. well, thank you, Bill. I, what, I, what I'm really just trying to push for is there's a political war going on here. And if we think we're just getting back to normal politics, yeah, where, where, th- where things are just going to be based on, you know, the arguments that candidates make, that's that's not happening, unfortunately. Well, Okay, um, just before you came on, Claude and I were talking about this, and I told you what our conclusion was. Um, and then I said, but, you know, I could be wrong. There were several states where, by the count, which, you know, I know you called into question, I still wonder about, uh, several states where Biden's advantage was less than two percentage points, even less than one. We're talking about Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, I think. Uh, uh, Brian, you know better. There, I, I think so. I think they were all very. I mean, all those were very close. Very close. So you know, can they be turned? I mean, it, how much frustration do people have with what's going on with Biden? The mess he's made. To flip those, I, I think. I think there's a real chance if I agree with you, Republicans get off their buttons, start to ballot harvest, and get these votes in soon, and. I don't I don't know what to do about the I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say about the, you know, no, no ID required stuff. I mean, I, I, I voted in North Carolina, you know, came up, got my wallet out. Show myself. Oh, no, no, no need, no need to show anything. What the hell? Let's assume a fair election. Tell me how Trump wins or why Trump wins when that middle is the part that could give him a lot of trouble, given indictments, maybe he'll be convicted. Uh, You know, those suburban women. Are those suburban women going to vote for Trump after they've, you know, pick pick your poison? Heard Trump talk about these uh, documents. If he gets convicted, um, we're of the belief earlier, no matter what happens, I can't vote for Trump. I, I, I just, I don't see, let's assume a fair election. I just don't see how he does it unless you tell me that base is not 40 or 35, but 52. Well, tell me, what, a, tell me what's wrong with my thinking here. Um, yeah, I think I think the only thing that I, I would differ with at all is is this idea of these suburban white women. OK, is it is it white women or is it just suburban women? I, 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 I typically hear the media. I ain't mostly about white. Yeah, they're, they're typically talking about suburban white women. College educated. Yeah. Right. Now, you and I both know suburban women, white women, brown women, black women. What do they care about? They care about the safety and security of their families and their communities. And it is, by and large, a pretty sensible group of people, right, who are raising their families. I do not buy the media narrative that Trump alienates suburban women. I do buy that Trump alienates those women who are on the political left, have been on the political left for many years, and may be coming more on the political left as government grows and things get, you know, ever more confusing mm-hmm. in our society. I do believe that. But the idea in 2020 that suburban Let's just take for the for the sake of argument, suburban white women who in those periods of unrest in American society, 
you know, racial unrest, you know, riots in cities, yeah, big American yeah, cities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The idea that they would turn to a anti-law and order Democrat or defund the police Democrat like Joe Biden and everyone around him and turn against the pro-law and order Republican like Donald Trump defies logic and experience. In the past, as I'm suggesting, those those sur- suburban women voted Republican. Yeah, okay. They, vote, they, they voted for Nixon, right, back in the late 60s. Why sure. did they vote for Nixon? Because they weren't sure that, that you know, Hubert Humphrey or McGovern were going to be tough enough. Supposing yeah. he's convicted, Brian. Supposing he's in jail. Well, look. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know at, 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 the, at the point where he's in jail, and I don't think it's going to get to that point, but at the point where he's in jail, then you have to ask, do we have a free country or not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Because how, how, how is it, how is it that the other side can, for political reason, lock up the rival to mm-hmm. the, the sitting president? No, that's will, fair. Will anybody in this country think there's a problem? I, I also think this is the context in which you're asking this question about the president, about President Trump. In that context, a, a lot of my friends, some of my friends will say, well, DeSantis, you know, DeSantis has, you know, none of the baggage. Well, you know, does the media like DeSantis? Does the Democratic establishment like DeSantis? Does no. Washington, D.C. like DeSantis? No. No. DeSantis st- stands up against all those things. Mm-hmm. Right. Des- I mean, if, if Trump alienates suburban white women, why won't DeSantis alienate suburban white women? But the Democrats want Trump to be the candidate, don't they? Well, they seem to be doing a pretty good job of trying to make DeSantis the candidate, too. Two. Yes. Right. Yes, I mean, they but... want they want to see. Well, here, look, we're living in an age of media narratives. Yes, sir. So the, the, the powerful media narrative is that Donald Trump alienates suburban white women and he offends people in the middle. And so if that's the media narrative, it's the media narrative they were able to use in 2020 to engage in the kind of, I would argue, industrial level you know, ballot, ballot harvesting, producing, what have you, that created the most anomalous election in the history of the country. Let's just put it that way. If you have Donald Trump again, you have that exact same media narrative to play into. So the, so the American left would love for Donald Trump to be the candidate again. They would love for that because they've already established in the public mind that, that, you know, Donald Trump is beyond the pale and therefore, I mean, you have Democratic operatives bragging about stealing the election for Joe Biden in I 2020. Know. I know. And you have the, the, the I mean, this is this is she didn't exactly say steal the election, but that Molly Ball piece in Time magazine, there yeah. was there was a massive effort. And the Democrats yeah. were rather proud because once you establish that Trump is Hitler, then then mm-hmm. everything is, you know, everything is acceptable in doing whatever you can to win the election for Joe Biden or to steal the election for Joe Biden. Will will there be anything different about Ron DeSantis in that regard? And I would humbly suggest no. They will yeah. do everything in their power to steal it because Ron DeSantis is a bigger threat in some ways than Donald Trump because he's younger. Yeah. You could have you could have eight years of Ron DeSantis. Yeah. You're only going to yeah. have four years of Donald yeah. Trump. So, All right. I mean, that's the crisis. Okay. Um Okay, we'll see. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. Do you, do you think you know? I think, barring illness, Donald Trump will be the nominee. Yes, and barring uh, a Homeric effort by individual citizens and groups of people engaged in election integrity, and the Republicans in Congress, and you know, lawyers that have yet to be found to to defend the process, short of a Homeric effort, 
to to make sure that there's fair elections, I think the odds of a Republican winning again are very remote. And they're simply remote because the apparatus in place today favors the Democrats wildly. Our colleague John Eastman is in a trial in Los Angeles by the California State Bar to take away his law license because he defended President Trump in Mm -hmm. November of 2020. And because he's a lawyer and he wanted to and he was asked to defend the president, they want to take away his law license. Mm, And and the, the whole movement is designed to send a chilling effect among Republican lawyers that if you dare get near anybody running for office, we're going to take away your livelihood. Yeah. Yeah. Now that all, all by itself is a very shameful thing. Where is the Republican national committee? Yeah. Hiring their own lawyers to make sure that they have jobs, creating their own law firm as it were to make sure they have lawyers to defend their Republican candidates. Where are those? Well, they're not to be found. I mean, but to generalize this last point, uh, in light of the fact, you know, you said barring this, barring that, but in light of the fact that the RNC is not about not going at this, I don't see anybody else on the Republican side really going at it. So that's uh, that's a real problem. Right. Um, and, I, and I don't mean to be discouraging. I, I mean, people to engage. No, in I this. understand. Yeah, no, I know. I know you would think after we'll put Trump aside after John Fetterman for God's sakes, got elected in Pennsylvania. I mean, what, what, what the what the hell what the hell was that about? That was about ballot harvesting and getting a zillion votes for him before election day, wasn't it? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And so they have the, the Democrats have that apparatus. The Republicans they know how to do that. Don't yeah, right. Yeah. right, all right, right, all right, all right. All right. Let, let's let's move to something else. Um, how important is this debate? I, I think I can call it a debate about transphobic men and women in the schools and in the culture. Um, how big a deal is this? Well, I think it's a huge deal. And I, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if it becomes a major issue in 2024 among the presidential candidates okay. uh, in the general election, not in the, okay. I think there's okay. pretty much unanimity. I don't see it as much of a debate. However, I see it more like a, a amazing one-sided shouting down of the traditional family and traditional morality by people who nearly out of nowhere have come up with the idea that transgenderism, transvestitism, however you want to term it, is, is uh, normal, good, and the kind of thing that government needs to engage in the propagation of. And it really did come almost out of nowhere that this wasn't an issue for, I would say, all of my adult life, (laughs) almost all of 61 years. This was never an issue. And somehow in the last five years, trans lives matter has become the go-to meme by the American left in order to shout down both broader debate on the political right about about nearly anything right whatever the subject is trans lives matter become you know becomes the go-to meme uh and also as a way of really in the schools undermining the authority of parents and you see in the state of washington and now proposed in the state of california 
uh, I think I think it might have even passed. I don't think the governor is I don't think it's reached the governor's desk yet, but that child protective services will be able to take children away from parents if the parents don't seem don't aren't acting quickly enough to fulfill the wishes of their trans presumably ostensibly transgender children. Now, I, I have I have said before on this, maybe to some controversy, that I think this is just demonic and mm-hmm. that you could almost understand the only way you can understand this, the only way you can understand this in terms of demonic influences. This is not science. This is not like a team of doctors have somehow found that this gender dysphoria is so widespread that people have been living for millions of years. And now all of a sudden we're discovering that, you know, boys want to be girls and girls want to be boys. And now we have the scientific means to make this a reality that, that, that there's no scientific basis for that. This is really the case that there is literally, and I, I hate to, I hate to sound uh, either religious or spiritual in, in a political conversation, but I think you can only understand our politics today if you open your eyes to the possibility that demonic forces are operating in this world we live in. They always operate in the world we live in, but they've never been more pronounced than they are today. And I think you see these manifest in this this whole transgenderism. Uh, again, you call it a debate discussion, you know, well, campaign, campaign really is what it is. Yeah. Well, you know, I had a dear friend who um, wanted us to help get a statue of the Archangel Michael. You know, he is trouble for for the demons. He's God's enforcer. You'll remember that, right? Right. And they wanted to have a statue of um, Michael uh, on White on White House grounds. Uh, you know, right right next to where they do those outside. Events uh, it didn't happen, but if it had happened, maybe we got to move the statue to Sacramento. No, I, I understand this. The debate I'm talking about is something I referenced in a conversation with you, not on 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 on, on the podcast in the gay community. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about that or not. Yeah, I can I, I can talk about that later uh, as I as I update. But um, did you did you look into that at all? Did you? Have I, did. On? I did. I did. Well, look, when it when it comes to the that part of the debate, like Andrew Sullivan talks about the the you know gay agreement in society, most of the gay agreement was they wanted to be treated equally under the law. They wanted mm-hmm. to get married. They wanted to serve in the military. Correct. Um, and they wanted to just live their lives, right, and and not have interference. And I think through much of American history, that was possible because you had a public morality that defended a natural understanding of right and wrong. And then you had a private acceptance of things that differed from that. And so long as you have a healthy public morality, you can have differences where people live their own private lives. Yeah. And even in the Andrew Sullivan context, if if the the exceptions we're going to make are marriage and serving in the military, I think most people are not there's not that much heartache among that because it, it doesn't extend into the lives of most most doesn't, Americans. It doesn't bother you. Right. It doesn't for the, as I for say, the most part. It as I say, it doesn't pick your pocket or break your back. Yeah. The, and, and and again, 
we have a, a very healthy live and let live attitude in the United States when it comes to people. And that and that that live and let live attitude is in general a very good thing. What happened with transgenderism is not only did it it practically come out of nowhere, but it inserted itself into the public consciousness as if there was this massive violent campaign, literally violence being committed against transgenders all over the country to where you had to say out loud trans lives matter as if transgendered people were being slaughtered, you know, <laughs> by the thousands just out of nowhere. And, you know, the, the, the there had to be a public acknowledgement of this because the, the violence was so prevalent when in fact, that doesn't appear at all to be the case. I, I'm not saying that there's not there's not zero violence, but this doesn't seem to be an academic uh, an epidemic no, of violence no, no. against transgender people. And so that was a lie that was forced upon the American people and gaslighting was engaged in. And presumably there was this, all this talk that that there's, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people who want their gender changed and they just weren't being allowed to. And there was violence being propagated against them. And when you have someone like Andrew Sullivan, who, again, I think by and large wants to live a private life accepted like everyone else. And he gets, you know, uh, conjoined to the transgender movement. All of a sudden he's being asked to defend something that in his own mind has nothing to do with how he lives his life. Yeah. That's the thing that I think, for a lot of people is the most remarkable about this, that it's disorienting. It's disorienting when the president of the United States starts giving speeches and inviting people, you know, on, on trans lives matter and how courageous all these people are. And then the inviting, most courageous people in America, the most courageous and inviting them to the white house lawn, lawn where they're bearing mm -hmm. their, their artificial breasts and, you know, mm -hmm. parading around as if this is good and normal, whereas mo most people see this and they they think uh, I would I would humbly argue that this is demonic. There yeah. is something very strange here. Yeah, Andrew Sullivan. I think we should probably tell the audience is a well known author. Uh, was a Republican for a long time. Uh, uh, best known as a as a uh, homosexual uh, articula uh, articulate spokesman uh, for gay marriage and gay military service uh, and is uh, absolutely embroiled now in a fierce argument with the trans movement. Just, just, I just, let me just read a little bit of from his essay um, right on the points you were making, if I might, Brian. In the gay rights movement, we examined every single possible argument that could be used against us. And we answered them. We wanted marriage and military service. We debated anyone everywhere. And in the broader context, in the broader context, we left you, gays and straight people, alone. Nothing in your life had to change to accept gay equality. Compare that with the trans queer movement. I could go on, but the next sentence will do. They will never leave you alone. They will never leave you alone. They will police the words you use. They will deny you access to any same-sex space. They will force force your daughter to compete against males, they will tell your child they may be the opposite sex inside and keep it from you, and they will use blackmail and a farrago of falsehood 
put your kid on a lifetime of medication. They cancel and get this verb, demonize even the most liberal of people. Um, he's in a very fierce fight with these folks. Um, I wasn't aware of it till I, till I read about it. But, I, you know, I'd love our audience to reflect on this and write us, write us with their thoughts. But when parents see this in their schools, the drag queen day, or see it on the White House lawn, as you describe it, Brian, uh, or see it at Dodger Stadium, I guess, huh? Uh, they're, yes, they're, unfortunately. They're, they're repulsed. I saw something at Dodger Stadium. I'm not going to get into detail, but it was Christ on a cross and then a man kneeling in front of him, engaging in... It's like you a know, pole dance, like a pole uh, dance kind of thing. Yeah, but it, but it was a it was it was, it was, obvi- a, it was obviously it was, sexual in nature. So they're taking it was, it was just horrible. It was just absolutely horrible and 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 uh, horrible. Go ahead. Well, no, look, you're taking you're taking the single greatest symbol of uh, I would say Western Christendom, but I'd say Western civilization, or I'd even say the greatest symbol of civilization we've yeah. ever had on this planet yeah which is the cross of our lord and savior jesus christ mm-hmm. and blaspheming it in public yeah in in a sexual way which is nothing that any adult or child should see mm-hmm. and the mere idea that the los angeles dodgers would honor them as doing any kind of public service is a most shameful history in the chapter of major league sports. Do you know what in this century, do you know what happened there? There was so much buildup about the quote, sisters of perpetual indulgence, as they call themselves, who did these horrible things, uh, being quote, honored or saluted, presented at uh, Chavez ravine. Right. Right. Well, I mean, there was, there was, they have, what happened? They had well. They had the gay pride night, and so they're going to invite you know various yeah. members of that community yeah, yeah, yeah. to come to come to the stadium. <laughs> and some some bright boy or girl in the in Dodger Stadium, you know, the Dodgers organization and their management said, "Oh, let's invite the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, or the Sisters, you know, or somebody was lobbying on behalf of the Sisters to get it as let's find the most outrageous group yeah. we possibly can." And let's honor them, too. And then there was controversy and the Dodgers pulled it. And then there was controversy from the from the, you know, LGBT, mm-hmm. whatever community. And so they brought brought them back. And when they finally gave them the, their award, they did it, you know, an hour or so before the game. The stadium was nearly yeah. empty. Oh, there, yeah. were five, that, there were 5,000 people in the parking lot, uh, Christians, pray, some of them praying the rosary. Yeah. And, you know, Catholics giving speeches. Many uh, Hispanics, right? Uh, I, I would say a majority of Hispanics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and but here here's the demonic force. So art. So Bishop Strickland uh, comes. He's from Texas. He comes to to join with the protest. And, you know, Archbishop Gomez in Los Angeles, who's not the not the worst possible, you know, you know, religious figure in the city. He doesn't come. He should have been there. He doesn't show up. I heard the uh, diocese was silent. They were they were silent on this. But Bishop Strickland from Texas comes, and then now he's being investigated by the Vatican for over what? The whole thing, over the whole thing. Well, you know, now now we probably we're going to have to. They say we're going to have to look into his finances, and there's going to have to be a you know we're going to have to take a hard look at what this guy's really doing. 
He was part of the protest and the Vatican. He was now investigating him because it is, again, these are back to demonic forces. So what is the Vatican believes? The Vatican believes we have to have outreach to people, outreach. And so in the interest of outreach, we're going to accept people mm-hmm. who not only do not believe in God, but are engaging in blasphemous type of behavior, that this is outreach somehow. Which Wait a show, which, I mean, what did he do? He was out there playing, praying the rosary? Did he do the rosary. other than that? No, I, I, I'm sure. I know he said a few words to the crowd, but. The, the majority he want he wanted to stand in solidarity. Unbelievable. With these folks. Now, again, dark demonic forces. What else can you attribute to this? There's no rational idiocy, idiocy, idiocy. Yeah, but, but idi- I mean, Bud Light, Bud Bud Light. Yes, some yes, yes. Some but bright young young person says, yes, the, "Hey, the, this the, will be cool." Yes, but be, the, you know, let, let's, right, but uh, demons operate at that level too. Don't yeah, they? Sure. Okay, sure they do. Right, right. I, I don't want to excuse people as simply being idiots. I want to. Ex- I, I want to. I want to people to look hard spiritually at what's going on in the world. I, I'm not a religious figure. Don't pretend to be one. I'm just a. I'm just someone who writes about politics. But I want people to think seriously about their spiritual lives. Yeah, yeah. And, and the threat to those lives from dark forces outside the normal. You know, way we have uh, no, to, to no, live our lives today. No, it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary times. I mean, is it fair to say to describe you? You're a guy who has spent your life in politics, political organizations, and running the Claremont Institute and other things, and now the Committee on the Present Danger China. But you find it um, impossible to talk about the present situation in conventional political terms. And one has to talk about demonic things, uh, things from another context. The only way to describe things that are going on is to use those words. Is that fair? It is. It is. Well, look, and, and also let me just say again, just as a, because for most people, this will conform to their common sense. When it comes to just straight common sense, most people look at the world, they see the interplay of left and right in politics. They see that we're a rich country. We want to have debates about how best to spend our public money for either mm-hmm. investment in roads or schools or social welfare, national defense, what have you. Through most of American politics, you know that's been the interplay, right? How much should we spend on this or that? Democrats and Republicans were mostly unified about the big things, and there were differences about how we would spend money and the social you know, safety net that we ought to have and those kind of things, redistribution of wealth. For most people, that conformed to their common sense that there would be a left and right divide. Now we have something radically different in our politics, and that is a a major campaign to change the gender of our children in ways that can only be described as beyond anything other, anything that would conform to any of your senses, that we are men and women created by God here on this earth. And now we're saying we're going to change that, fundamentally make something different. And you combine that with trans, the, the transhumanism movement. You have transgenderism. You also have transhumanism. And you also have artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and you know 
all this scientific effort to change who we are as human beings, that that is straight satanic for anybody who who believes, you know, in organized religion, have read the Bible, have read any of the great writers on okay, um, okay. Christianity, yes. Judaism. I mean, this, this is this is a spiritual war of epic proportions. And to talk about politics without reference to that spiritual war, I think, is is somewhat missing the totality of the picture. OK, um, I was just going to ask you, would it make sense? Would it be a plus or a minus for a Donald Trump or a Ron DeSantis or anybody to describe what's going on and say, I find like my friend Brian Kennedy, that it's impossible to talk about what's going on today without talking about Satan, demons, et cetera. Yeah. This is still a God fearing country. I think people understand it that way. Um, but if you, but if you said, look, some of what's going on is, is, is uh, from, from another world is, is from hell. You know, I, I said it I, the first time I said it in a speech was probably there were probably six, probably 600 some folks there. And it was the biggest applause line I got. And the reason I, the reason people applauded, I think, is everyday people. And I like to think of myself more as an everyday person who just happens to be in this business. The only way they can make sense of the world yeah. is by seeing this as a, a form of spiritual warfare. No, no, and you I, scratch I, your head and say, what the hell is going on? What the yeah. hell is going on? So well, that's it. It is hell. Hell is the right word. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it, and you know, th- these people talk in a demonic fashion. They behave and look at the, the scissors of perpetual indulgence. Just look at them. They look demonic. No. They sound, they sound demonic. That the, their acts in, in public are demonic. They're, they're scary to look at if you haven't seen them. They, they, first of all, they mock, they mock Christianity and Catholicism by wearing the habits of a, mm-hmm. of, of a nun. Number one, they're not. They paint their face in the most bizarre Good way possible. Way, yeah. Yeah. And, and they look like something from another realm, another yeah. dimension. Yeah. And they, uh, I would humbly say, they mean to look like something from another yeah. dimension. Yeah. Yeah. They mean to undermine your basic sense of decency, morality, spirituality. They want you to sit down and shut up and take their assault on your morality quietly. And that's that's the great thing that those of us who believe still in God and decency and morality have to stand up against. If, if we were ever called to do anything, it's to stand against the forces of darkness. And those forces look to be, uh, you know, at least to me, apparent. And I think for a lot of Americans in this whole transgender movement. Diminishing number of Americans identify themselves as, as religious in any way. Yes, that's that's true. Because if you identify as religious, uh, the government looks at you as a as a uh, threat. So mm-hmm. if you're a so if you if you believe in God and you believe in standing up for human freedom, you might be called a Christian nationalist. And if you're if you're yeah. um, a white person, you're called a white Christian nationalist. And the federal government has said publicly, you're the greatest threat to American freedom. Yeah. And they have targeted yeah. you. So 
under those circumstances, it's not it's not that shocking that Americans don't or lesser numbers of Americans identify that way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and if you believe in Donald Trump, too, my gosh, I mean, who are you? Do you own a gun, too? Really? Do you listen to country music? Right. All, All of a sudden you're put in a box and someone's listening in, you know, technologically. Right. And again, this is part of the great disorientation and demoralization of America that somehow things don't seem to be right. And all of a sudden, the things that used to used to be okay to do, which is to speak your mind in public about your political ideas, that now is somehow wrong. You can't do that. You can't do that. I know, but I, you know, I just, um, I, I don't disagree with you. I, what I only thing I disagree with is I just, I have less confidence in the American people. I think they're distracted. They're not interested. Oh, never mind. It's just politics. I'm going to watch Netflix. They're kind of beat down, aren't they? Yeah, they, they are kind of beat down, but they're also kind of, more of Huxley's Brave New World and George Orwell. They're, you know, they got their bills, they got their meds, they got their government support. Uh, they got TV and endless TV. And I don't know. I don't know if they're, you know, capable of it. I, I don't know if they, they're capable of it. Well, we enough, have to, well, enough of them. Well, I would say this, though. One, we have to pray that they're capable of it. And yeah. two, we have to we, we have to waken them up. These are the these are the times that try men's souls. And we have to explain to our countrymen at every opportunity, this podcast being one of them, that American freedom is worth fighting and dying for. It always has been and it always will be. And there's something noble about the American experiment and that this country can still be saved and that it's a it's still a country filled with a lot of good people. And we need to wake those people up to the crisis. And if we do this, the country can be saved. And if we can't do that, I I fear for the future of this nation. Thank you, Brian. We'll leave it there. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. All right. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett and like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's Bill Bennett Podcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. 